0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Hello out there to our fellow royal lovers where each week we give you a royal roundup on our favorite family. I am not Christina Garibaldi. Molly, I'm (laughs) not. I'm Joe Drake filling in for Christina while she is out on maternity leave because Molly, I'm sure you heard the news. Christina gave birth to her own royal baby on the same day as Bit Diana. Christina gave birth to Lucas Michael Mastro and we are so excited for her. And I will be filling in while Christina is on maternity leave. And of course we have Molly Molshine as always.
2: I am so excited for Christina and hello Joe. It's so Hi. great to be hosting with you.
1: Yes, I'm so excited. I, I cannot believe, I knew I was coming on to fill in for Christina, but When I heard that her son Lucas was born, and then on Sunday, finding out that Lilibet Diana shares the same birthday, I mean, she is actually meant to be the host of the show. (laughs) She is following in the royal footsteps.
2: Really, like it's fate. And Lucas, Lilibet, they kind of go together. Fate. Amazing, I can't believe it.
1: I love that. All right, well, let's get into our royal roundup because as I'm sure you all know, this week is all about baby Lilibet Diana. So, Molly, I got to ask, what was your first reaction to the name? Because that's the first thing that goes out when any baby is born, let alone a royal, is what's the name? And people automatically give their opinion. So what was yours?
2: I was both surprised and not surprised, if that makes sense. Same. Because I think we all knew Diana was going to be incorporated somehow. And I think if they didn't also include a nod to the Windsor family, that would be seen as you know, sort of a dig. So it made sense that they had to include both. I was surprised by Lilibet. I was not expecting Lilibet, but then once it processed, it sort of made perfect sense. Right. Right.
1: I had the same reaction. I read Lilibet thinking, oh, that's different. But I knew once I let it process, I remember that that was the queen's nickname. So it was obviously very much a tribute to Queen Elizabeth and even the late Prince Philip, called uh, Queen Elizabeth Lilibet. It was sort of her nickname from um, her childhood that has continued on. So it's sort of the perfect, like rather than naming her Elizabeth, it's the perfect next option, I guess, you know?
2: Yeah. It's really interesting because it is also so similar to Charlotte's name. Charlotte's name is Charlotte Elizabeth Diana. So this is like it's right. own little. Oh, I
1: forgot about that.
2: Right. It's like a sort of more like modern spin, I guess, even though the nickname, you know, dates back almost 100 years now. It's, right. it's cool. It's like the, it's like the same thing with a different stamp, I would say.
1: Right. I think uh, old names are coming back. My niece is named Margaret. She was just born about a year and a half ago, and I think you know rather than like Mackenzie and Brittany, we're starting to see we're starting to see those old names really come back. And I think with the likes of Harry and Meghan naming their daughter a little bit, I think it's going to give us common folk a little bit more uh, courage to name our kids something more old school. <laughs>
2: us common folk, yeah.
1: Common folk. That's what I think I am, uh, especially compared to Harry.
2: <laughs> I think yeah definitely I think there's going to be a big uptick in Americans naming their children a bit now and like how do you think the royal family's going to feel about that do you think they're going to think it's a nice tribute or maybe not so much.
1: I don't really know I mean I obviously to me after watching that explosive interview with Harry and Meghan which I personally loved. Uh, I think it's a nice tribute, but I think that it's going to be so hard for people to forget. I think the um, the sort of pomp and circumstance of naming her a will go away in the coming days, but mm. the interview cloud will linger for a little bit longer. You know what I mean?
2: Right. <laughs> Definitely. And if you take away all of the sort of politically charged meaning behind the name. It is just a really cute name for a little girl. Like right. a- Aesthetically, it's just an adorable name. But the thing is, you really can't take away all of the past that goes around what's going on with the family right now and everything. So that makes it a really interesting choice, I think.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, and as we said too, Prince Harry uh, hinted at liking the name Lily because back in 2019, they were visiting uh, some school children in Burkhead and Harry was speaking to a mother who had a daughter named Lily and he was interacting with them, even asking how the little girl spells her name. So I think he was already leaving a little Easter egg hint that that was uh, a name that he was into at the time, you know?
2: Yeah, it's really cute. And also a lot of people have pointed out that a lily is a flower. Megan's mom used to call her flower. And Megan also has an aunt named Lily who's really important in her life. There are so many different things that make the name so perfect for them. And it's it just works on a lot of different levels. And it is really cool to see that Harry actually has been on the record as saying that he likes this name before.
1: Definitely, I'm really glad that that came out. Because obviously, when everyone heard the name, they thought bit Diana is strictly a nod to the royal family. And people were, you know, remiss to find out that Doria Ragland, Megan's mom, as you mentioned, was also given a nod. We just had to dig a little bit deeper into those stories to find out why. Because I think it's important, too, that we acknowledge the uh, Megan's family, even though she has had issues with you know her half siblings and her father i think it is nice to acknowledge doria for sure
2: yeah definitely and she is the grandmother who's there at the end of the day boots on the ground kind of helping out and everything so i mean that's enough of a tribute i feel like to know that she's the she's able to get so much face time with the baby i think is probably you know enough for her in in including all of the nods that are in the name to her Absolutely. side of the family yeah. Family
1: goes deeper than just getting like a name tribute, you know, you're right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And also a lot of people don't realize that even the, the Cambridge children, a lot of their names are present on both sides of their family as well. So, right. you know, Elizabeth is, I think, Carol Middleton's middle name. And okay. a lot of people think that Charlotte is based on both Charles and Carol. So, you know, they all get very creative with it. It's definitely. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, members of the royal family have been sending congratulations to Harry and Meghan in the previous days. Of course, Buckingham Palace had to release a statement. Well, they didn't have to, but they did on Sunday, June 6th, saying, quote, the Queen, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall and the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have been informed and are delighted with the news of the birth of a daughter for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. That is a mouthful, as most Buckingham Palace statements are
2: right. It's like, it's like fancy word, Mad Libs.
1: It really is. But the, uh, the Queen's official Instagram, which was a little bit more my style, uh, I'm not sure who's running it. I'm sure the Queen's not there tweeting and Instagramming, even though I wish she was, but they put on there that um, it is Her Majesty's 11th great grandchild, which I think is important for the world to know. I mean, obviously she's had such a fantastic life But on top of that, she has 11 great grandchildren. That's insane.
2: It really is. It's unreal. And this is the first one to be born not in the UK, which is really interesting as well.
1: Fun fact.
2: Yeah. I wonder if there'll
1: be any more. I mean, I guess.
2: Yeah, it, I if
1: don't to live to be 200 years old. She's probably going to have 50 great grandchildren.
2: I know they'll be all over the world by then. And right. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of did go through all the different statements with a little bit of a fine tooth comb to detect any like shade or drama. OK, tell uh,
1: me.
2: so I noticed that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge on their Twitter, they said they're happy. At, like congratulations on the arrival of Lily. They didn't say her full name. So I was wondering why that was.
1: Like are like they're a little annoyed that they also use Diana?
2: Maybe? I don't know. I mean <laughs> I don't I don't crafting
1: theories here. I don't know. Yeah. But they did, uh, William and Kate have already sent a gift, sources say, I, as of this recording, we don't know what the gift is, but hopefully by next week we'll have all those details. Cause I'm dying to know what they sent. It was probably more than just like a muffin basket.
2: Right, it had to have been something really nice. Yeah, for sure.
1: Definitely, Molly, who else has reached out that you saw?
2: So Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank, they wrote on Instagram, they wrote a really warm sort of fuzzy statement, I thought. They said, congratulations, dear cousins, we couldn't be happier for you all. So that was very informal. You know, Eugenie and Jack lived in Frogmore Cottage for a little while. It seems like they are on good terms with the Sussexes and that's what it looked like from the statement, I thought.
1: I'm a big fan of Eugenie and Beatrice. I, I feel like being them as the cousins is like the perfect spot to be because they don't really have to pick a side and they've been through their own situation with their mother and father and the royal family. And they can sort of live in, in the quiet, but also still have like that, that glamorous life.
2: And like marry a tequila spokesman. I mean absolutely.
1: Like I will take it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall also put out their own well wishes on Instagram. They said, Congratulations to Harry, Meghan, and Archie on the arrival of baby Lilibet Diana, wishing them all well at this time. So they did say the full name.
1: See, that's what I noticed, too, is I didn't notice the Lily part that you had mentioned. I'm glad you brought that up. But I I was happy to see that Prince Charles and Camilla mentioned Diana's name in the post, because to me, it felt like a seal of approval.
2: Yes. And that takes a very mature person to put, you know, The, I mean, maybe I'm just too petty to do that. But if I would, if I had divor- like divorced someone and then remarried, I would be like, oh, do I have to type my ex's name into Instagram? But of course, like you said, they're probably not typing it themselves. So.
1: Right. And obviously at this point, Charles and Camilla have to understand the legacy that Princess Diana has left the world. So naming one of the grandchildren after her is like par for the course at this point.
2: Of course, of course, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna not do that.
1: Definitely. Well, now it's time to spill the royal tea, and fans are already speculating that this name Lilibet is an olive branch to the royal family after that explosive interview. So we've got a couple of rumors that are swir- swirling around um, already after Lilibet Diana's birth. So let's start off with this olive branch story that we've sort of been hitting on, Molly. Do you think it was an official royal olive branch to the Queen? And the royal family and the firm, as it were.
2: I really don't know, because if it is, I don't think that on its own is going to really do much. Like maybe that was what they were going for, trying to say, look, we still consider ourselves a part of this family. Um, And but yeah, I think there might be too much damage done for it to be fixed with just a name. I'm sure there's probably other efforts going on behind the scenes as well to iron everything out. Do you think that they would have chosen this name if they were still in the royal family as working royals?
1: Great question. I'm gonna say no, to be honest. I just have my gut feeling that they may have gone, because Archie was very much out of left field, in my opinion. So I th- if they were still senior members of the royal family and had this baby girl in a hypothetical world, I think they may have chosen something a little bit more rogue like Archie. Whereas Lilibet Diana is really sort of like following that um, that royal runway or whatever, however you want to say it.
2: Right. Lilibet Diana is really planting a flag in the ground and saying, this is a royal baby. This baby is royal, make no mistake. And she's Eight. She's intimately Royal. She's not Elizabeth. She's Lilibet. It's like, it really is a statement, you know?
1: Yeah. She is a direct descendant of the current reigning queen. Right. Definitely. Which brings us actually to our next topic that people are, uh, talking about all over the world is will Lilibet be given a title? Because I know that there was speculation or rumor swirling around after that interview where Megan said that Archie's, um, Title would be stripped from him, but there's actually more semantics that go into it, right?
2: Right. So there's a law from 1917 that basically says that all of the monarch's grandchildren will be given title—the title prince or princess. Now we've seen that already not happen because some of William and Harry's aunts and uncles don't have the prince or princess title for, or their cousins don't have it. Uh, So. It's already, you know, there have been exceptions made. For the Cambridge children, an exception was made because they are the children of someone who's going to be a monarch. So I guess the queen decided, okay, they should be princes and princesses. But the same exception, as Meghan said in the interview, was not made for Meghan and Harry's children. But the law says that whenever Charles exceeds to the throne, their children will get those titles. So I am just really confused because all of the reports at the time that Archie was born sort of, they weren't official reports. They were all like sources say, but sources were saying that they didn't want a title for Archie. So do you think maybe now they will not even want the titles? Do they have the power to even say no to the titles when Charles takes the throne?
1: I don't know. I think based on the law, it sounds like if they're in succession to the line, then they will naturally have the titles, whether or not Harry and Meghan will use them for their children. I'm not sure if they have that power. I mean, I guess they do as parents, um, but we'll have to wait and see. That's an interesting question to bring up because I think they naturally will have the title, but if they use them, is it, is a totally different story, right? Right, Just like the way that Harry and Meghan stepped away Now they're just sort of Harry and Meghan and the title is this afterthought.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is they could have used some of Harry and Meghan's other titles for their kids, but they have declined to do that. They could have called Archie the Earl of Dumbarton until he becomes prince when Charles takes the throne, but they decided not to. So... I guess it's just, it seems like it's very black and white for them. It's like prince and princess or nothing. So I feel like I could see (laughs) them maybe- not wanting to buy in whenever that actually happens, I don't know.
1: Right, we do not want an earldom. We only will take prince. <laughs>
2: right, exactly. I mean, well, what's no, an earl? No one even knows what that is. Yeah,
1: no one knows. We need prince or princesses only. But another factor that people are talking about in our next royalty subject is: Will Lilibet have American citizens, American citizenship, or British? Um, and what do we know about that, Molly?
2: So she is going to have dual citizenship. Those, okay. That is what the reports are saying. And Archie does as well. Megan never actually became a UK citizen. Um, so she retained her American citizenship. And Harry obviously is a British citizen. And he has said in recent interviews that he does not have any interest in becoming an American citizen. So I guess they're going to keep it half and half.
1: Yeah, and I think that really works for their children. If I was a child of a father who is British and a mother who is American, I'd be like, give me both. It just makes it easier for everyone when it comes to travel. You know, right. (laughs) Then you
2: can have both passports and when you get to the airport, look at which customs line is shorter and go to that one.
1: Absolutely. Especially since they're not senior members of the royal family. Archie and Lily may have to get on the Delta flight to London.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. A fate hey. worse than death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, our last bit of royalty comes from Meghan Markle's best friend, Piers Morgan, who is not my favorite person. Molly, take this away, because apparently he tweeted something shady, which I'm not at all surprised by. What did he say?
2: Right. I have beef with Piers as well, Joe. OK, okay we- good. But yeah, yeah, you know, he's he did, I kind of liked this tweet. He said, to those asking for my reaction to the new royal baby, I am respecting her parents' constant pleas for privacy and declining to comment. Now, I think it's great that he's declining to comment because-
1: Right, take, we'll take it.
2: But the other thing and I always say this is Harry and Meghan have never pleaded for privacy. We have never heard the words leave their lips. We have never seen it in a statement. They have never said we want privacy. That's not what they it's haven't. about. Right. So interesting.
1: I feel it's, like it's been put upon them actually. That's a right good
2: point. Everyone kind of assumes that they want privacy, but they don't. They just want to, they they want to still be public figures. It's very clear that they want to still be public figures. They want to control how much information is released about them, sure, but they don't, they're not like we want to be private citizens, you know?
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right, Molly. And I think the the biggest piece of evidence is that sit down interview. Right. Clearly they don't want to be private people. If they did, they would have never done that interview.
2: They wouldn't but, have a podcast, they wouldn't have a Netflix deal. They would right.
1: They would know? have written a couple of books and retired with Diana's money, right?
2: Exactly. It would have been very easy to do that. So it's very clear that that's not what they want.
1: But as much as Harry grew up in that sort of firm lifestyle that was very regimented, he still was a public person, so that's all he knows. And as everyone also knows, Meghan Markle was an actress and was very public with her life before. So these are two people that are sort of just used to that routine. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that.
2: Absolutely. And the thing that I'm happy Piers Morgan has learned is the more you talk about a celebrity, the more famous you make them. So if you really, truly doesn't want them to be a topic anymore, he should stop talking about them. So
0: maybe. Yeah,
1: great point. You know, definitely a a great point. All right. Well, now it's time to break down the royal rules. And this week we have a very special guest, Matthew Story, who is the curator of Royal Fashion in the Making, which is currently on display at Kensington Palace. We had a really great conversation. Molly, let's get right into it. Well, first of all, I have to congratulate you on the opening week, is it, of this monumental exhibit. How has it been received so far?
3: It's been brilliant so far. There's been a massive explosion in ticket sales. So many people want to come and see it at Kensington Palace, but there are still plenty of tickets left if you'd like to come and join us.
1: I'm in New York. I need to fly to London for this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are saying it's there's never been a better time if you're a UK tourist in the UK to come and visit, but hopefully our overseas fans will be able to come if and when restrictions lift. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, I am in London and I am definitely gonna be coming to visit. I cannot wait to see this exhibit. So you're displaying this iconic wedding dress worn by Princess Diana, and it hasn't been displayed since 1981. So how did this come about that it would even be an option to put it back on display?
3: Well it has been displayed around the world uh, a few times since 1981 but it's the first time actually since 1996 that it's been shown at Kensington Palace, uh, Diana Princess of Wales's former home and it is the first time since 1981 but it's been displayed with all of the archive material from the Emmanuel workshop. So that's the sketches, the samples, the swatches, the trial pieces, the paper patterns, everything that went into creating this iconic dress. And the dress hasn't been with those items since the day before the wedding when it was delivered to Diana.
1: Wow. When was the first time you saw the dress? As you said, it's so iconic. I've only seen it in pictures, but I could imagine seeing it in person is a completely different ball
3: game. What was your reaction? It is so different when you see it, because I think everyone remembers if you were alive at the time, you were probably one of the 750 million people around the world watching the TV broadcast. If you were born later, you've probably seen it on YouTube. The moment when Diana stepped out of the carriage and that famous silhouette, so that big skirt, those big 1980s sleeves, the the bows. But when you see it for real, what you're really struck by are the details. And I think that's where so much of the love and the care went into it. So you're struck straight away when you see it in the exhibition, and this is what I thought when I first saw it, by the sparkle of it because it's covered in thousands of little iridescent sequins. And it's the, that attention to the details that really strikes you when you see it for real. You
1: mentioned yeah. the 1937 coronation gown worn by the Queen Mum. How was, that, how was that fabric even discovered?
3: Well, I believe that the designer, and the designer is this fascinating woman called uh, Madame Handley Seymour. Her family kept it safe for many years until about 2008 when we were at historic royal palaces fortunate enough to be able to acquire it for a royal ceremonial dress collection. So now it is carefully. Looked after by Historic Royal Palaces, part of our ten thousand items of royal and court dress, and our expert conservators gave it their very best attention before the exhibition. So it had a few creases. So using the most conservation-safe techniques, so that's using very slightly damp material and glass weights. There's no iron or steam anywhere near it. They gently smoothed it out, and it looks beautiful. And uh, that is a fascinating garment because it is a little time capsule, actually, because it shows how the coronation dress was developed. It's made out of cheap cotton fabric, so they could work out the fit and the design before they cut into the expensive final fabric. And it's covered in gold paint uh, as well because they painted the design for the embroidery on first to work out how it should be. And that dress, that toile, the prototype garment still has the original pins and tacking stitches in it from 1937. So it's the ultimate window into the designer's workshop.
2: That's amazing. Did you learn anything new about Diana in this process or any of the other members of the family?
3: For me, one of the most important items we show relating to Diana is David Sassoon's sketch for a dress she called her caring dress. And it's this blue dress with bright flowers on it. And it was one of the princess's favourite dresses. She wore it over and over again. So much so that the press said, give it a rest, stop wearing it. She wasn't going to because she knew that children especially, really responded to this dress. Children love bright colours. And so she often wore it when she was going to visit children and sick children in particular. And the sketch shows this broad-brimmed hat and she would never have worn it with that hat because she said you couldn't cuddle a child in a hat. So for me, that unlocked my understanding of Diana's wardrobe. But she thought about the people who were going to see her and the people she was going to meet when she made style choices. And actually what really struck me was how there's a long history in the royal family of doing that because we also show a sketch created by Norman Hartnell for the Queen Mother, of the kind of clothes she would have worn to visit people who had been bombed out of their homes during the Blitz in the Second World War. And it's in this very sympathetic purple colour because the Queen knew, the Queen Mother knew, but how she looked was important. And so she wore these soft, sympathetic colours. She wouldn't have worn black, she wouldn't have worn green to such an event, because it was unlucky. And for me, that was a bit of a revelation. But what we think of as quite modern ideas of royal dressing have very long histories.
2: Has the royal family been in to see the exhibit yet?
3: Uh, they haven't yet, and I don't know if there's any plans at all (laughs) at the moment, but they are well aware of it, obviously. Um, we have trustees at historical palaces who are part of the royal household, and the Duke of Cambridge and Duke of Sussex have very kindly loaned, uh, their mother's wedding dress and also her going-away dress, so they know all about it.
1: What other sort of hidden Easter eggs or other parts of the exhibit should guests look forward to seeing when, when attending? we have sure the there's
3: a lot. <laughs> there are lots of little easter eggs yeah. i put into raw style in the making and we have cases which are designed to look like the designers studio so if you do come and see the exhibition i really hope you can have a look at what's on those tables because there's lots of little details and one of my favorites is a set of keys on the Emanuel workshop label. And one of them says Elizabeth's key. And those are the keys that were used to lock Diana's wedding dress and all of the sketches and swatches up in a safe every night because the whole process had to be kept top secret. And if I can also give a shout out to our incredible people who worked on the exhibition design, have a look at the big backdrops behind each exhibit because we've got a big backdrop of Buckingham Palace behind the Queen Mother's Hartnell dress, a big backdrop of the Mansion House behind Princess Margaret's costume ball dress. And we deliberately chose photos which showed those buildings as they were at the time when those dresses were worn in them. And I'm so grateful to our amazing team for that level of attention to detail they put into it. Definitely.
1: I'm also so interested doing research on you. You're also a LGBTQ plus history curator, which I think, you know, makes you the perfect person for something like this, because we all know that Princess Diana has had such a uh, profound impact on the LGBTQ plus community, even when she was there. And, you know, back in the day, there weren't a lot of advocates for, folks like us. What can you tell us about Princess Diana's impact during that time, during her
3: lifetime? I'm so glad you asked that, such an important area for me. And one story really stands out with Diana, Princess of Wales and the LGBTQ plus community, and especially um, for gay men, because 9th of April, 1987, Diana visited the Middlesex Hospital, and it was the first dedicated HIV AIDS ward that she opened. And there was a huge amount of speculation about whether she would wear gloves or not, because at that time there was a huge amount of ignorance about the disease, a huge amount of stigma, because it was associated with gay men. And there was a lot of misunderstanding. People thought you could contract HIV by touching somebody who had it. And of course, Diana didn't wear gloves when she went to meet people, and she didn't make an exception that day. So most of the patients didn't want to be seen. They didn't want people to know that they had the illness. One patient, a man called Ivan Cohen, was very brave. He came out. He was happy to have his photo taken with the princess. And of course, she shook his hand without wearing gloves. And that sent an incredibly powerful message around the world. And she did get criticized for it. People said she's trying to remove the stigma about these people, but these people deserve to have the stigma. Those that is what she was up against when she was shaking hands with people. And it really did make a big difference. She helped to educate people and she helped to remove the stigma around HIV and AIDS that was affecting so many gay men at the time.
1: That's incredible.
3: Well, we're sending Molly since she's in London. She's going,
1: she's going to report back. I'm sure she's going to have rave reviews, but Matthew, thank you so much. And Molly, when you're there, you'll have to sync up with Matthew and give us a little behind the scenes.
2: Stuff. I know Matthew let's get a VIP VIP ticket.
1: Yes.
3: I can't wait for you to see. I can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait for you to see it.
1: Well, that was a fascinating interview, Molly. I, I'm so jealous you're in London that you can go because I because of COVID restrictions, I don't think I'm going to be able to see it.
2: I know. I'm hoping that things are going to change in the next week or so because Joe okay. Biden's actually coming over to meet the Queen and everybody, which is going to be fun to talk about next week. But I'm yeah. hoping he's going to announce some changes to the travel stuff. But in the meantime, I am happy to represent us at Kensington. Thank you. Park. As always, I'm not going <laughs> to hold my breath for the VIP ticket, but I'm still going to go.
1: <laughs> Definitely, I can't wait to hear all about it. Well, now it's time for our royal history moment of the week. And I thought this week's is really interesting because we found out that Lilibet Diana, Mountbatten, Windsor, who we've been talking about all episode, shares the same birthday as someone in her family. Right, Molly?
2: Yes, she has the same birthday as King George III, who was born in 1738. People may remember him from Hamilton. Uh, right. It's kind of crazy. Wow.
1: Because
2: he's the he one who's my said,
1: mind. Oh, my God.
2: He's, he's the one who said, you'll be back. And now his fifth great granddaughter is the first British royal who's eligible to run for president in the U.S.,
1: I cannot wait for bit Diana to see Hamilton and be like, that's, that's my great, great, great something.
2: (laughs) Can you even imagine? I mean, I don't believe in the concept of having a British royal run for president. I will just say it. I think we fought a war over it. Let's let sleeping dogs lie. But it is so insane and interesting that they had the same exact birthday.
1: That is crazy. I love that. Well, finally, our last segment of each week, we have got to check in with our royal kids. And since we've been spotlighting one royal kid all week, I think it's only fair that we give a little bit of attention to Big Brother Archie because we have some exclusive news only to us weekly, right, Molly?
2: Yes. So a source has exclusively told us that they're already back home in Montecito with their baby girl, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Archie absolutely adores his little sister and gives her lots of kisses. He's held her with the help of his parents.
1: Oh, That is adorable.
2: So cute. And the insider also said that he is, quote, such a kind, loving child. And there aren't any jealousy issues with the family's latest arrival. So-
1: I love that they this insider put that out there because already the baby's like five days old or a week old at this point, And they're probably already going to be pitting them against each other, just like William and Harry. Right.
2: I know they're going to be pitting them against each other. They're going to be pitting Lilibet against Charlotte. It's going to be an ongoing thing. For I know,
1: my whole life. I, but I will, I'm going to fight for Archie and Lily for the rest of my life, because I know what it's like to have that sibling bond and they're going to be, unless they have more kids, they'll be the only two that understand what it's like to have parents like Harry and Megan, right. just like William and Harry are the only ones to know what it's like to be uh, the sons of princess Diana's that's an extremely unique place to be in the world and I wish them nothing but the best and I honestly think these kids are going to grow up to be excuse the term badasses
2: yes <laughs> we on my other podcast we did an astrological reading of Lilibet Ooh. and she is the chosen one according to my uh. co-host who's an astrologer so if anyone wants to check that out that yes. it's- She's got all this Leo energy. She's the queen of the jungle. So, everyone get ready for a little bit.
1: No, but yeah, I mean, let's break that down real quick before we leave here. She's the descendant of the queen. Her grandmother is Princess Diana. Her mom is Meghan Markle. Her dad had the cojones to leave the royal family. I mean, she had, there is a lot in that blood to make her, you know, what you said. <laughs>
2: Right, I don't know what she's gonna grow up to do, but it's gonna be something big for sure.
1: Yeah, we're putting
2: so much pressure on her, though. She's a baby. I mean, she's no. a baby still. I'm sorry, but she and I'm sure she's just like a sweet, innocent baby like everybody else. But I'm, I am excited about this. I think well, the name is cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what I was thinking about when preparing for this week's episode. Is I cannot believe the coverage of this baby. I mean, I guess that goes with all the royals, but it seems like there has been so much about Lily this week and there probably will continue to be. And we're we're here and we're loving it just like the rest of you. So that's it for this week's episode of Royally Us. Molly, thank you for welcoming me. And this is my first episode filling in for Christina.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. This has been great.
1: Keep commenting and keep subscribing. We'll see you next week.